0: Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day that you have made. We thank you for all that uh, you have brought us through. We thank you for the evidence that we have seen of the ways that you have been working in our lives, even up to this point. And God, we thank you for the promises that you have made to finish the work that you've begun. God, as we look forward, this morning to when those promises will be fulfilled we pray that you would help us to stay focused we pray that this morning you would give us ears ready to listen minds ready to think that you give us hearts ready to be changed ever more by your word and by your spirit that we would be um, more and more closely conformed and transformed to the people that you made us to be it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Matthew chapter 4, verses 12 through 17, the very beginning of Jesus' public ministry, says, When Jesus heard that John had been put into prison, he withdrew to Galilee. Leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah. Land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. And then turning to Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 through 20, which can be found on page 949 in your pew Bibles or 1819 of the large print. Ephesians 5, 1 through 20. This comes towards the end of Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus where he's already explained what all God has done for us in Jesus Christ. And so then he says... uh, No immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person as an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, because for because of such things God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore do not be partners with them. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. This is why it is said, Wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful, then, how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. we'll be looking this morning at Isaiah eight nineteen through 9, 7. It should be found on page 559 in the Pew Bibles or 1073 in the large print. There it is. Before we before we actually read for that, I want to tell you this week was a weird one. If you watched any of the of the news online, you know there's or not online on on TV anywhere, uh, you know there was, there was some big things that happened this week. Um, one of those was the. Uh, all the issues surrounding the Ferguson, Missouri, um, the grand jury, and all that. Now, I'm not going to go into what the whole situation is or how it went, but I want to tell you, I watched part of it uh, on TV, and uh, there was a there was a point. I think this is kind of illustrative. There was a point before the grand jury's um, result was revealed where the anchor person on the news channel, had multiple people that they were trying to talk to and say, okay, we're waiting for this result to come out, so let's just keep talking and speculating about what in the world it's going to be. And so they kept, well, what do you think they're going to say? Well, what do you think they're going to say? And they kept going round and round. And probably, you know, 45 minutes before they actually said anything, one of the people they asked responded by saying, you know, really we're so close to what it's actually going to be, it probably isn't worth anything at this point to continue speculating. We should just wait and see what it actually says. (laughs) That's common sense. But you had to feel for the anchor who's like, um, my job is the opposite of that. (laughs) And you are now the worst guest I've ever had on my show. (laughs) Which he did not say out loud, but you could see it in his eyes. Had to be what he was thinking. But that is what it is. I mean, they're just filling airtime, and we don't know anything, but we're going to keep talking anyway. And we want you to keep watching, even though we have nothing to say. And um, just don't ever let anybody realize that's what's going on. Anyway, there are words and words and words. I saw it in Ephesians, you know, the empty words. And that's what a lot of it is. And in situations like what's going on in Ferguson and in situations we have just politically in our country right now, where we have um, division over, pick a topic, and the country is divided. And the question is, okay, well, then what are we going to do? Whose words are true? Where can we go? What can we actually depend on and trust? Where is the hope in the situation? And for that, we're actually going to go way back to the book of Isaiah, chapter 8, starting verse 19, and hopefully you'll see why we're starting there. The actual uh, passage where we normally begin is at the beginning of chapter 9, but that kind of picks up in the middle of something, so we're going to go back and get the whole thing. And this is at a time when the nation of Israel has been turning away from God for a long time. And God had told them from the very beginning when they came into the land, if you follow me, if you know I am your God, you are my people, and you do the things that I've been telling you to do, if you stay with me on this deal, it's all going to go great. But if you don't, you can't stay in the land. That was the deal from the beginning. And so they continued to turn away and away and away. And he would send prophet after prophet, somebody calling them back and saying, you are going you're going the wrong direction, turn back to God. And sometimes they would, for a little bit. Well, the time was coming close when the time was going to be up. And they've been turning away from God for a long time. He says, the Assyrians are going to come, and they're going to take you over and take you out of the land. But there are going to be signs of hope as well. But in this context, here's what we find. It says, "...when someone tells you to consult mediums and spiritists who whisper and mutter, should not a people inquire of their God? Why consult the dead on behalf of the living? Consult God's instruction and the testimony of warning. If anyone does not speak according to this word, they have no light of dawn." "'Distressed and hungry, they will roam through the land, "'and when they are famished, they will become enraged, "'and looking upward, will curse their king and their god. "'Then they will look toward the earth "'and see only distress and darkness and fearful gloom, "'and they will be thrust into utter darkness. "'Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom "'for those who were in distress.' In the past he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the future he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Well, that's all of it together. But we kind of ran through it pretty fast. And if you're like me, who's heard that passage read, Advent after Advent... It just sounds like a lot of words. And you go, okay, moving on. But it actually has good meaning. There's a reason why this is in the Bible. So let's go through it a little slower. It says, when someone tells you to consult mediums and spiritists who whisper and mutter, should not a people inquire of their God? Why consult the dead on behalf of the living? This was something that people had been tempted to do from the very beginning, and so it was something that God had said, don't do this. And why were people tempted to consult mediums and spiritists? The idea was, thinking that, well, if somebody has died, they have now gone to the other side that divide between the living and the dead so they now probably have a better perspective than I have so if they could somehow advise me on what it is that I'm supposed to do if they could give me some perspective on my life then that would sure be helpful I sure wish I could talk to them and there have always been people who will offer the services of well I can help you with that for a little bit of money we'll make that happen and God has consistently said yeah don't do that that is a bad idea and he actually points out, Isaiah points out right here, why that's a bad idea. Why consult the dead on behalf of the living? Now think about that. The idea is, well, surely they would have a better perspective than we would, right? We're here kind of locked in, in space and time, but they would have maybe a better perspective. He says, no, no, no. Don't compare that to where you, what your perspective is. Compare to what God's perspective is. If you have access to the living God... Why would you be consulting people who are dead? Why would you be consulting people who have less perspective than the living God who is outside of all of space and time, who can see it all? Why would we go anywhere else but to him? So it says, don't go there. Don't go to the dead and consult them on behalf of the living. But instead, it says, here's what you should do. It says, consult God's instruction and the testimony of warning. In other words, he's already given you his word—he's shown you what is good and right and true. Why would we need to go anywhere else? He says, but consult this. This is what's true. This was not. Jesus says, you know, there's the uh, the two roads. There's the the broad road which leads to destruction, and many go that way. But he said there's also the um, the narrow road, and it leads to life, but only if you find it. This is what has been said from the very beginning. God has shown us the way. It's just not everybody wants to follow that way. So you want to go down the broad road and get advice from somebody else who tells you that this really is the right way to go. Just don't do that. Speaking of which, when it says, why consult the dead on behalf of the living? This is literally talking about people um, consulting people who have died. But I think there's also an application for those of us as Christians to consider, which is this. If it's true what the Bible says, that uh, without Christ we were still dead in our sins and our trespasses, but that we've been made alive in Christ, let me ask you this. As those who have been made alive in Christ, why would we consult those who are spiritually dead to get advice on how we ought to be living? It doesn't make much sense when you really put it like that. When you think about if, if we now understand what the purpose of our life is, if we understand what the purpose of all life is, Why would we go to somebody? Why would we go to somebody who does not understand what what it's all about and who thinks what it's all about has more to do with personal satisfaction or uh, getting more power, more money, more sex, more pleasure, more comfort, more whatever it is. Why would we go there and say, hey, can you advise me on how I ought to uh, behave in my dating relationships? Would you advise me on how I ought to handle my finances? Or would you help me out with how I ought to structure my business or plan for the future? Would you would you advise me on how it is that we ought to be um, living in any situation? Why would we consult the dead on behalf of the living? Something to consider says instead consult, consult God's instruction the testimony of warning if anyone does not speak does not speak according to this word they have no light of dawn in other words this is this is the test it's not that people it's not the people who are spiritually dead can't ever say something right or that you can't find truth in other sources of course you can but like the saying goes even a broken clock is right twice a day right it doesn't have to be working to be right. <laughs> it just so happens that it, you know, sometimes happened to be right. But this is where we always go back and check all the things that we hear from these other sources and say, is that really consistent with what God has told us? Because if He knows better than anything else, why would we consult anywhere else? Okay, moving on. It says what happens, though, to these people. They turned away from God long enough and here's what happens. So distressed and hungry they will roam through the land. Distressed and hungry they will roam through the land. And this is the image of warfare. The country's going to be taken over and this is where they're going to be. But I want you to think about this not only in relationship to a country who's been at war and now this is what they're going through but even think spiritually speaking the state of uh, those in our country today or anyone wherever they live who has turned away from God in a spiritual sense, listen to this, distressed and hungry, they will roam through the land. Why are they roaming through the land? What are they looking for? They're hungry. They're distressed. They're looking for peace. They're looking for food. This is when they are famished, they will become enraged. They'll become enraged. Why are they angry? Because it's not their fault. They're hungry. They don't have food. And so they're saying, well, it's not my fault. Like, I'm not going to be mad at myself. I'm going to be mad at somebody else. So where am I going to be mad at? And so they look upward first. And the first thing they see is they see their king over them. They say, it's his fault. And then they go even higher than that. And they, say, they look at God and they say, it must be his fault. You remember back in uh, in Genesis when Adam and Eve ate the fruit. And God says, to the man, what did you do? And he said, well, she gave it to me. He what did you do to Eve? And he said, well, the serpent, he deceived me. It's always somebody else's fault. And so they become enraged. They curse their king. They curse God. But now where else do they have to go? They say, well, if I'm not going to follow the king anymore, if I'm not going to follow God anymore, we're going to have to look back down to the earth. We're going to have to look at those right here around me. Look at myself. That's where I'm going to find the only thing that will sustain me. That's where I'm going to find uh, the strength to carry on. That's where I'm going to find everything I need for life and survival and everything. It's all going to come from me and those around me. And it says, when they look down, (laughs) then they'll look toward the earth. And what are they going to see? They're hoping they're going to find their salvation. What do they see instead? Only distress and darkness and fearful gloom. And they find out that what they were hoping would provide hope leads only to despair. And so it says they'll be thrust into utter darkness. They've shut out all the light, and now it's dark. Yesterday we went down to the caverns of Sonora. And if you have never been there, you need to go, sir, living in Sonora. no it is it is worth it 's worth going to, and um, one of my favorite parts this is I think the fourth time i 've been down there it 's still always an impressive moment when you get to the very depths of the cave and they flip off all the lights and you see nothing, nothing i mean usually, if you are you know, in your bedroom at night and you turn off all the lights there 's still kind of a glow coming from somewhere or you know used to be you'd kind of have the moonlight outside, and nowadays it's more likely you have blinking lights on your various electronic devices. But But it's very rare that you're in complete darkness. So we're down there, and they flip off all the lights, and they actually say, okay, now what I want you to do is keep your eyes wide open and put your hand right in front of your face and wave it around. And you could not see the hand in front of your face. It's bizarre. It really is. And it says, this is what it's going to be like. This is what it's going to be like for people, spiritually speaking, when they have rejected all the actual real source of light, of truth, of knowledge. Spiritually speaking, they will be in utter darkness. They will not be able to see the hand in front of their face. They will not know right from wrong. They cannot tell. And this gets about as bad, it's about as bad a situation as you could think of. But then comes the next verse. That's why we don't stop there, by the way. (laughs) terrible place to stop. And I will will tell you this. The Bible paints a lot of negative pictures. A lot of uh, really bad scenes. And yet, the darkness never gets the last word. It never gets the last word. There's always something else coming. So if you ever hit a spot in your Bible that's particularly dark... Even if that's like the end of your reading for your devotional section for the day or whatever, and you're like, well, I'm just going to read chapter 8. That's where chapter 8 ends. Don't close your Bible and go, well, that was depressing. (laughs) It's okay to keep going. Because God always gets the last word. Here's what it says. So you get this really dark situation. And then it says, Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. And it talks about this area, geographically speaking, which would have been that area closest to where the Assyrians were coming in. So when the Assyrians came in to take over Israel, this is where they're coming. And so they were the first ones to feel the pain that their sin had caused. They had turned away from God, and now they're suffering for it. And that is the way that it, uh, that it happened. But he said, in that same area, that is where the light is first going to break forth. So that is where the darkness first hit hard. That's also where the light is going to come. And, I don't know if you noticed this, but that is, uh, that is what Matthew picked up on and said, Jesus moved to this area for this particular reason. When he began his ministry, he started in this area because that's what Isaiah said was going to happen. That when the light dawns, when people get to see what life is really all about, and when, as a way of saying it, you know, the lights get flipped on when Jesus appears, and people everywhere he goes, you know, there's some people who kind of stay in darkness who reject him, but there are those who accept what it is he's saying, he says, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near, And as they watch what he does, they hear what he says, and they come to trust and believe in him, it's like spiritually they see everything differently. It's the lights have been flipped on. They go, oh! We'd never noticed before. We'd never been able to see the hand in front of our face, but now we do, and everything is becoming clearer and clearer. This started in that same area where the Assyrians came in to take over Israel. So just at the place where it was the darkest is the place where Jesus began it says there's great rejoicing which I would love to get into but we do not have the time for that now there's some good images there so read those again and think about why why they use that anyway we're going to skip it Um, there's going to be a lot of celebrating though it's going to be good Uh, because of Jesus and uh, be hard to skip we'll go here the reason it's going to be so good is because it says in verse 6 for to us a child is born to us a son is given and the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called wonderful counselor mighty God everlasting father prince of peace of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing it and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. This is good news because Jesus has come, and is good news because he's coming again. And here's a couple things I want to leave you with. When it talks about light, when it talks about light, we understand that in the sense of we know what it's like when you can't see anything. You close your eyes and you can't see where you're going. You run into stuff. We get that. But there's something else going on here. There's something else going on here that ties it into that very last line where it says, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. That seems like one of those throwaway lines. Like when you may say amen at the end of a prayer and you don't even know what you're saying, you just kind of throw it on there because it's what you do. But it does mean something, and this means something too. And It says the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. In other words, this is something we don't bring about on our own. The whole idea here is that Jesus is the king over everything, that one day everything is going to be made right that all the searches we have now for justice and for peace and for true righteousness and for true holiness and for people to be actually loving toward each other all the time, that one day that's actually going to happen. And that will be when Jesus is revealed as truly the king over all and where everyone bows down before him. Now, sometimes though we think, well, we've got to make that happen then. We've got to get enough names on a petition. Or we've got to send out enough emails. Or we have to uh, call enough, uh, enough of our friends and neighbors or congresspeople. Or we have to get the right people elected to office. Or we have to whatever it is. But it says, no, no, no. It's, it's God who's going to do this. And we certainly have the part that we do, but it, as it referred to the uh, defeat of Midian, did you hear that part? as in the day of Midian's defeat just in case you don't remember how that went this is what it was back in the book of Judges uh, God picks a guy by the name of Gideon who was terrified and hiding from the big strong Midianites and God says to him okay I want you to go and lead the people to defeat them so get a bunch of people together he did he said okay now you got too many people and so he makes it much much smaller And the whole reason for that is so that when they win, Gideon and his army can't say, that's because we're awesome. We're the best army ever. The only thing they can say is, had it not been for God, this never would have happened. Never would have happened. This didn't have anything to do with us. Now, they did have their part to play. They did have their role that they did uh, fulfill. They had to act in obedience to God, and yet it was still God the whole time doing it. And that's what we always have to remember. It's God, the one, God is the one who's doing it. He will bring to completion the work that he's become, begun. When we look at, this is where it's all headed. We don't have to think, oh, but what if we mess it up? Because if God is the one doing it, we can't mess it up. He's going to make sure that it happens. And that's why hope, in a, which is our theme for today, with Advent, in the biblical sense, is not the kind of thing where I hope it's going to be good weather tomorrow. I hope that I'm, you know, going to get a particular gift for Christmas. I hope as in something that I want to happen, but it may or may not. When the Bible talks about hope, you know what it actually means? It means an eager anticipation for what is going to happen because God has promised it will and he's always faithful and he always keeps his promises. And so that kind of hope, not, I sure hope God does what he says he's going to do. No, it's actually trusting in the promises that he's made and living because of that. Looking forward to it. One other thing. Maybe three more. No, just one. This whole issue with light, like I said, we think about it in terms of... Um, what it means to have the light come on and that sort of thing. But I want you to think about one other aspect to it. And that has to do with this uh, God bringing things about. Do you remember in the very beginning of the whole Bible where it says, in the beginning God created the heavens and and the earth. And the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. Now, I think, I think the reason one of the reasons why there's so much to do with light and darkness in the Bible from that point on always goes back to, to that moment, signifying not only a revealing as the revealing aspect of light, but also the beginning of God's work of creation. And if you look at it in that sense, you see that when God says, let there be light, that begins a work that then he brings to completion. And when uh, when Jesus appears as the light, that begins a work of a new creation, which will be completed. And when it says that he's made his light to shine in our hearts, to give us the light of the knowledge of the gospel of the glory of Christ, of Him beginning His work of a new creation within us. And every time God begins a new work, He does bring it to completion. And so as He has promised to do that, we have hope. Hope that one day everything will be made right when Jesus comes again. And hope that when that happens, He will have also completed the work that He is doing now, even, in and through us. This is a reason to rejoice, and it is great reason for hope. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.